You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. Welcome, Porch Drinkers, to episode 101 of The Porchcast. We are broadcasting today with the lead R&D brewer from New Belgium Brewing, Kelly McKnight. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited. Yeah, we're stoked to have you. Stoked to chat about all things New Belgium. Um, but before we get into it, uh, I want to introduce my co-host, Corey hey. David, Bryant Vanderweird. Welcome back to the show, fellas. Yeah, man. Excited for this episode. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, glad I, I, I know what, what I'm going to get Corey for Christmas is a comb for his hair because he doesn't seem to own a fucking comb right now. No way, Give me dude. One too. He's got to let the flow. Just let the flow go, baby. Bryant coming out the gates blazing hot today. Uh, before we dive into uh, our podcast, we have to give a shout out to all of our sponsors. A big thank you to our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. ONTAP Credit Union isn't your average financial partner. They make banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With ONTAP, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. And with ONTAP's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. Member-owned, Colorado-proud, federally insured through NCUA. Visit ontapcu.org for more information. Kelly, very oh. stoked to chat with you today. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. I think we um, we reconnected in person recently at Gold Spot Brewing for their Queertoberfest and got to try some fun stuff. I think you had a, was it a dark lager that was pouring? Uh, it was actually a scotch ale that I brought. Scotch and I put donut in the name and people who don't know what scotch ale is loved it. So <laughs> trickery. It's mostly just smoke and mirrors just to get them to drink something else. It's like, it's like a rye beer. If you put rye on the label, people aren't going to buy it, right? And they're like, oh, I hate rye beers. It's like, if I didn't tell you that, like you probably wouldn't have known. It was actually, it's, it's a, we called it Donut Kill My Vibe. Nice. And it was a beer we made with a local donut place here in Fort Collins called Foco Doco, which is queer owned. So for the fest, it was perfect. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we and should start a brewery that only releases donut beers and see how that does. Everyone thought there was like, what do you call them? Bear claws and all those things in it. I was like, actually, this is just a regular scotch ale. Yeah. <laughs> just the marketing team got involved thank you yeah well i um i'm excited to chat with you today um a couple things i know we're going a little out of order but i think this was just so super interesting that i had to bring this up you were a sponsored skateboarder and snowboarder and you also yeah. studied chemistry at harvard and you're on track to go to medical school and and took you also took culinary courses in italy how did you end up a brewer, Kelly? Tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, all of these incredible hidden talents and, uh, and how that factored into your kind of career trajectory where you are now the lead R&D brewer for New Belgium Brewing here in, in Fort Collins. Yeah, so I was an undergrad in Seattle at UW and uh, started brewing there on hot plates 21 years ago in the dorm um making hoppy stuff because it was northwest and just thought it was a hobby whatever 
And then years later, I ended up going out to do some grad work at Harvard and uh, thought I was going to be a doctor, um, but it fucking sucked. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, not to say that I didn't know it was going to be hard. It was hard and that was fine. But I think um, I was just kind of not loving the, the Cambridge life. Um, you know, I came from the West Coast. So anyway, uh, one day I just decided to homebrew. Like, I said, like, fuck MCATs, studying everything I'm going to brew. So I did, and I remember just smiling. It was so crazy to just truly smile once again. And I called my parents, and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to be a brewer. I don't know how. And the number one question I get from mainly old people, because I have to do tours sometimes, and at New Belgium and take people around. I always get asked, weren't your parents so disappointed in you? Oh man. I'm like, no, they were fucking excited. The first thing they said was like, yes, you're not gonna be 400 grand in debt. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, how do I become a brewer? Well, at the time I, uh, through grad school, I'd been working at this awesome beer bar in Cambridge called Cambridge Common. Um, so I went to the managers and I was like, hey, I'm gonna be a brewer. I don't know how, can you help me out? And they're like, perfect. They're like, whether you knew it or not, we were telling all these famous brewmasters that would come through for beer dinners, like Mitch Steele, Sam. This is like way back in 07, 08, um, that you're gonna be a brewer. And so we, it's kind of cool. Um, so they just said, write up a bio and we'll blast it out. And I think the next day I got, ton of job offers, dogfish, all these other breweries. And I had no experience, but I had science background. And uh, I actually took the job where I didn't have to move. I took a job at this complete dump in Boston called Watch City Brewing Company, um, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, but through that, I, you know, my best friend, Lee Lord, she's the head brewer at Narragansett. She was my assistant there. And yeah, we we just wrote it out at that shithole until um, <laughs> Belgium called me one day out of the blue because I grew up in Fort Collins. And just when I'd come to town, I'd visit. So yeah, New Belgium called me and was like, hey, you're a top choice. Um, we know your family is here. You want to move to Colorado and brew for us? And I was like, fuck yeah. So, and I started in production at New Belgium. And then after for some years uh got scored the r&d brewer lead r&d brewer role so that's so awesome well yeah. this is already our favorite interview because you mentioned gansett and uh i know Corey loves gansett yeah. i like gansett gansett's not bad yingling's trash you guys always think that it's narragansett that i hate gansett's fine it's not great i mean i, if I'm know. Like, I, I know what you like if I'm going to go East Coast, it's going to be uh, Utica Club if I'm going with anything. But Yingling's just garbage. Uh, well, Lee's the head brewer. Gansett finally opened a brick and mortar in Providence. Yeah. So she had bounced around to Cambridge, Smutty Nose, and then um, and then Gansett, she got the head brewer role for their brick and mortar. So she's not just making the lager. Yeah. But yeah, we can talk about those days of hell in a little bit if you want <laughs> yeah, I'm, actually, I'm really curious about like your skating and snowboard days if you want to touch on that a little bit like sure, so yeah what age, what age range were you at because i snowboard and i skate still 
So oh, I was, I was younger, man. Um, I so I probably started skating and snowboarding at like six, Colorado, right? So doing all the comps and everything in Boulder. I st- that was my first comp, I think for, no, Steamboat was my first skate comp. My mom actually just emailed me a picture of me yesterday after I won that. But probably from um, little kid to 18 is when I was sponsored. And so I was doing like, riding for all kinds of people and I was the only chick really um at the time and what I think crosses over in this industry is um because I was a a chick um nobody would like even my buddies would dudes wouldn't even like skate with me because like they don't want to be seen with a girl so I was just like fuck all of you I'm gonna get awesome and beat you in every comp and I did um, and picked up a lot of sponsors. So I think, I don't want to sound too <laughs> spiteful, but it sort of feeds me. Um, I think when I started in brewing, there's a little bit of that. And I was like, fuck it, man. I'm going to just do a good job. And I know I have talent. And so I think it worked out in brewing too. Yeah. Do you feel, did you, have you always kind of had that mentality of like, you just wanted to prove people wrong more than anything that like motivates you or what? I just want to be left alone and do a good job. So like every time in brewing or snowboarding, skating, when people would just, you know, be an asshole or shit on me, I uh, just blow it. I wouldn't blow it off. I'd internalize it and it would make me strive to be that much better and achieve things. So I guess it's fuel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just kind of curious. I, I feel like that motivation is pretty straightforward when it comes to skating or snowboarding. But I mean, can you, just off the top of my head, can you think of a time like in brewing that somebody was just like, you know, this isn't very good or they didn't give you like some good, some credit for something you might've deserved and you just like turned it around and like knocked it out of the park? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this question. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that first place I worked, um, you know, a small 14 barrel Peter Austin, um, brew pub in, in Boston, um, a dump, but the brew master, um, <laughs> after like a few weeks, the owner, she came up to me and she was like, he sucks. You need to fire him. Can you run this brewery? And I was like, I guess like, so I, I, and the reason it made it so much easier to fire him, um, then hire him as my assistant and ended up working out later was because I got, at the time, I was the only female brewer in the state of Massachusetts. And so what had happened was uh, just some like local paper wanted to do some tiny interview. So I did it and he like, you know, sees it and I'm in there brewing one day and he was never around either. So I was like, why is this guy even here in the morning? But I'm brewing and he walked in and he was like screaming at me. And yeah, I'd been there a few weeks. And he goes, because I was like, why are you so mad? And it was about the fact that I'd been interviewed for being a woman in beer, nothing to do with him. Um, he told me that the only reason I existed was that. So when he took a shit, I knew how to wipe his ass oh and never God. do an interview ever again. And that is something I've internalized and just been, fuck you. And so I swear a lot, by the way. But um, yeah, so that helped me fire him, but then hire him because he knew the equipment. 
And just kind of like, that was the beginning of brewing for me was being like told you're nothing. And so um, I kind of took that instance that is so aggressive jesus yeah but, I, mean, I feel like i mean tell me if i'm wrong it just seems like um that it was just indicative of the industry even like you know at the time and it still exists obviously in ways but that was it was just such a boys club yeah know, back in the early days that it had to be so freaking hard to just like kind of make a name for yourself and like be able to make decisions like as a woman in the industry like especially on the brewing side at that time yeah and like honestly and still to this day um all I've wanted to do the whole time is just make beer so like when all that bullshit and other bullshit at the end of the day it's like all I care about is brewing I don't give a shit about your egos or problems it's just like please let me make beer because that's what I enjoy the most um yeah and back then it was crazy I mean Boston's always been like a kind of a dramatic cutthroat beer scene like when I moved back to Colorado I was like wow everyone here is nice this is so cool um not to say that everyone in New England is that way but definitely over there there's a lot more there were less breweries a lot of fighting for taps and crazy things going on and so um, back then you had all of the older, they call them tier one brewmasters. So like Will Myers, you know, Chris Loring at Notch, all of them were like this certain kind of age group and, and era of brewers, which are great brewers, but uh, they were tier one. That's what they say. And I was like tier 99. So you're just like a piece of shit, you know, Wait, who, who but was they really tears, by the way, who was, who was like, who made these arbitrary tears i want i'm curious themselves oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like whatever i get it you guys have your your and they're cool like i mean all of these people are buddies but uh just like what am i walking into yeah. um i also like again really only care about making beer so yeah. i really like your description of i just want to be left alone and brew awesome beer. I feel like that should be like the uh, job description for for really good brewers, right? <laughs> I just want to be left alone. It's pretty simple. Do a good yeah. job, be able to make beer and just have a good time. But sometimes it's not what everyone's in it for, I guess. So when you got the new Belgium job, did you send your beer to your former brewer who, who talked shit about Lee? you? Oh, no, no, but I did get, I mean, New, it, uh, New Belgium wasn't available out there yet, but everybody, like, you know, I drank it before, but um, I got a lot of, like, I taught you everything you know, you owe your oh career to God. me, and I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> Jesus, still, still trying to die on that hill, huh? Yeah, yeah. Now, just out of curiosity, was there a bittersweet part of you having to go back home and working at New Belgium? Like, was there a part of you that, like, since you grew up in Fort Collins, you're like, man, I don't really want to go back. Like, I've spent, like, all of my oh, life. Yeah. I, when I left for college in, like, 01, I vowed to never move back to my hometown. And <laughs> obviously that didn't work. Didn't take long. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I was gone. And then, so Seattle for a long time, Boston, and then 
again, I was trying to go back to Seattle, but when um, New Belgium called, it's like, and especially at that time in the industry, like there, they were, New Belgium was still like, like it was like the gold standard and mm -hmm. it's being at this dump, like you don't just, you don't say no to that. And of course, like my parents think it's like a, they're not even religious, but like a miracle and it's all meant to be. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I do. I love Fort Collins. It was just crazy because it's, it has been so long. So I just yeah. picture Lauren Salazar reaching down from the, or Lauren Limbach now, but reaching down from the clouds and offering you this job and your parents being like, hallelujah. I think that's what they envisioned. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Sorry, I no. wanted to, to find out a little bit more about the R&D program because I feel like, you know, people are so familiar with, you know, the, the Voodoo series and um, all of these iconic beers like Fat Tire. But, you know, what I think I've been so most impressed with, uh, you know, as of late, but even dating back to, um, you know, like the, I forget, I'm drawing a blank on the, the bottle series that you all have. Oh, uh, Lips of Fate. Lips of Fate. That's right. Yeah. I, I think New Belgium, for me, I, what I love is kind of this experimental side and, and you know, pushing the boundaries and testing out new things. Where, from, a, from an R&D standpoint, where do you get inspiration for the beers that you, you know, the, the recipes that you create? Is it more ingredient driven or is it kind of stylistically based or just, you know, do you, do you kind of draw inspiration from other people and other, you know, checking out what other breweries are doing in the industry? Kind of. A little bit of everything. Um, I love to make beers based on stuff I try when I travel, mm -hmm. um, whether it's food or just rare ingredients. And one thing we're really lucky with here in our R&D program, which our team is like, it's pretty small. There's in Fort Collins, you know, we have five of us, six of us. Um, but we have a specific person, Dave, awesome dude. He's an innovation specialist, but his like entire job is just getting rare ingredients from around the world oh cool and so that's cool because i don't have access to anything pretty much anything i guess that would be legal to put in beer um but yeah so i'll drum up these ideas or be walking around or i was just out in maui a couple times like anything i find that seems awesome i get to mess around with it and make all these beers and what's cool about that too is they don't, they're not like dead end. They're, they actually go to our tap rooms and um, get small batch released and all that stuff. But I think I find a lot of inspiration from travel. Uh, back in the day, I used to be super into like adhering to styles and traditional, like New England made me like this, um, like I would never bastardize a style. Nowadays, you kind of just, there's times when you have to do it to like, I don't know, stay in the industry with all the weird crap coming out. I haven't thrown donuts and beer like the name suggested, but um, yeah, I'm, I've kind of like released my grips on being like hardcore into style, um, like adhering to styles and I'm kind of like fine working on blending and making new stuff, which is part of R&D, right? Like, sure. you know, um, but yeah, I'd say the most is travel and I'm lucky to travel a lot. Uh, I mean, Belgium sends me around places. Personally, I get to go a lot of places. So not everybody has that 
um, ability, but I use it to the max. Like I take advantage of that every time. Yeah. Now with the R and D stuff, I mean, obviously, I, I think New Belgium's known for living in two different worlds, essentially, where it's like the um, a little more niche, uh, barrel aged, booter aged, uh, smaller bottle releases. And then it's also just this, you know, it's this massive brand with things like Fat Tire and the Voodoo series. Now, how does, how does R&D work differently with those two things? Because I know that the, sometimes the fun and sexy thing is the limited bottle release, right? I'm sure that's super fun to work on, but it doesn't always make up a bulk of the sales. So like how much of your time is spent in like both of those camps and how are they different? Kind of split up like quartered. So like a quarter of the time it'll be, you know, making version three, four, five, six, eight of big brands that are gonna be like a hundred thousand barrel brand. And actually the voodoo series and uh some of our other big ones, there's two individuals that, that they're like Maddie Sm Maddie Smooth, Maddie Gilliland. He took over for Ross Koenigs, who just went to open his own brewery in Denver called Second Dawn in Aurora, Colorado. Um, Ross owned all those voodoos. So he was the voodoo guy. Um, now Maddie is going to be the voodoo person. And then uh, Cody Rife, he does all the, like the juice stuff um, and like not hoppy stuff. So I basically spend a quarter of my time taking their recipes that have gone through all the process and, and brewing those to prepare for scale and tweaking them and stuff. I spent another quarter of the time, probably, um, brewing a ton of beers for Lauren Limbach. So I make a bunch of base beers or, you know, they're, they're not even just base, but they, they go over to the wood cellar once they're done and she blends them out for a cork and cage sour series. Another quarter of them would be collabs and just like having fun and, you know, sending a lot of those to the tap rooms or like wherever the brewery is that we brewed with, um, sending it out to their market. And then the last piece is uh, just pure R&D. And that's like where I use, so it could be brand new hop products, brand new hops, brand new malts from here and there. Um, but a lot of those beers is where my favorite part is I make them for our small batch series. So those get mobile canned and that's where I make like the craziest, coolest stuff. And I probably brew two of those a month and, and that's free reign to do anything I want. So again, like voodoo and big brands all work on like the tweaks and the different versions. Lauren's stuff is Lauren's stuff. Like anything sour, that's hundred percent her. We help her like write the recipes in the sense of like efficiencies and, and the malts to use. Um, and then, yeah, then it's collabs and the small batch things. And that's like, that's where I get to do anything. So that's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Now I know that uh, kind of on the note of collabs, you just recently did, uh, and I think you alluded to this earlier, but uh, you recently just did a collab with Maui Brewing. Tell us a little bit about that particular project and, you know, what all went into the creation of, is it a lychee honey lager? Yeah, so Maui was a really special collab. I mean, they all are, but um, I was going out to Hawaii regardless and, and know Kim and um, at the time Sarah Perez was over there. 
and they wanted me to brew beer with them. And so got the okay, went out. Um, and this beer in particular was really important. I try to use like the platform I have to, you know, empower women or non-binary people in beer or people of color or any just marginalized group instead of just like, oh, I'm brewing with my bros and you know, whatever. So Sarah actually, she did a lot of legwork, Sarah Perez. And um, what we did was this beer is called Li Chihu. So like native Hawaiian um, people's like yell chihu and it kind of means like yeehaw. Um, so what was cool about this beer was um, it was Anu, she's one of the brewers at Maui. It was her first big scale up beer. And so he's local lychee and honey. So lychee honey lager, but, um, and it, we turned it into a thing called Empowerment Beer Day, which we're kind of gonna do in Seattle this Friday when I'm out there to brew at Urban Family. But basically, I do a lot with Pink Boots. I'm a Fort Collins chapter leader. And so promoting it through that channel, um, but getting women on island on Maui was like the big thing. So we got women in beer on island involved with this beer. And so the brew day was huge. Tons of women showed up from all over Maui. Um, and then we used that whole thing to kind of like teach brewing, see what you could do in the industry. Like, you know, it's not just being a brewer. It's not just being a lab tech. Um, there's female owners, there's beer tenders, marketing sales. So we did like a big expo and that was awesome. And Maui really like, they rolled out the red carpet for this event. It was a great time, but we got to make a lot of connections and teach a lot of stuff. And then, um, you know, we also use that to benefit uh, local organizations that are important to Maui Brewing in particular, because their, it's their territory. So we donated to Ohio Women's Shelter, um, Women Helping Women, and obviously, um, you know, some other local places, but it was really cool. So went out there, brewed it. We had this whole big day, awesome time. And then I just went back a couple of weeks ago for the release um, and we had a sweet party and, you know, there's women all over the island that had heard about it. And so everywhere we were going and hanging out, they're like, it meant so much to me because like, I never knew that you couldn't just be a brewer. So I think we, with all the beers I do typically, um, yeah, the, the Maui one was huge, but it's like, you know, again, use your platform for good. You know, it's not just about the individuals making the beer. It's about what can this beer do for local communities and um, marginalized people in the industry in general. Yeah. I think that's so cool that you all incorporated the expo component because I feel like, you know, so often uh, we talk about like diversity inclusion, how to get people of more diverse backgrounds involved in the industry. But, you know, like you said, that, that oftentimes people feel like it's so limiting to just the brewing side of things. And, you know, it's very much like growing up, you know, in the 90s or, you know, I feel like when we went to school in general. It's just like, oh, you can be a doctor or you can be a fire person or you can, you know, like very like narrow scope of of what you learn that you can actually accomplish in school. Whereas now the floodgates are open and, and getting involved in a number of different ways from, you know, the actual production side to, you know, just working in the tap room or even like we do marketing sales and, and whatnot. So I think that's so, that's so valuable. And I, and I think, 
it opens the door to more people realizing, hey, there's a way that I can see myself in this industry. Yeah, and I also need to give a shout out to Girl Beer documentary, which was out there and they'll be at Urban Family this Friday, but they filmed and afterwards we also hosted a panel. So Kim Lutz, Maui's VP of Ops and Brewmaster um, and other brewers on island. We were, we were there to answer questions and, and talk and yeah, it was an awesome time. So I'm excited also for Urban Family on Friday. That's going to be another hoot. Now, do you have um, do you have any people in particular, any brewers that you like collaborating with like the most? You know, anybody that you've done like multiples with or anything, or even it's just it's just fun. You you know, you just like really enjoy spending time with them. Yeah, I mean, my best friend Lee, like I was saying at Gansett, Lee Lord. First of all, if you guys haven't met her or seen her she's a wild eccentric brewer she's great um but yeah I, I that collab was really special because again we had gone through so much shit together and through the years like you know we talk every day but to be able to brew at, together with um, New Belgium and Gansett it was just like it was kind of like a symbol of yeah man we got treated like shit we made it and now we're doing this together and it just felt um just full circle but that beer was awesome in general and it was a norwegian farmhouse quebec with uh juniper and lingonberry and um we had a krampus party for the release so someone like there was a krampus person there and a metal band and that just like kind of our two worlds came back together and that beer was delicious Mm -hmm. um yeah it, it meant a lot to brew with lee yeah it's cool to kind of come back around full circle and definitely not the kind of release that i would expect other than narragansett so way to push him <laughs> oh she's she's definitely changing the tides over there so yeah that's cool i know they were i was familiar when back when i lived in new york they did like the del shandy and the autocrat like milk stout and stuff so it's cool to see that they're like moving in more of like a progressive direction in terms of like what they're putting out these beers are off the chain. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Now, I know that we, we, we talked a little bit before the show about one of your most rewarding projects. Tell us a little bit about Beer to Queer um, and kind of what that beer was, what it represented, and what it meant to you personally. Uh, beer to Queer was awesome. That was actually not my first, one of my first beers in the pilot. Um, I never thought the name would fly, which was awesome that it did. And um, actually special shout out to Megan Baker at Harpoon Brewing for coming up with the name. She's a good buddy, but um, yeah. So again, free reign to kind of make cool stuff. And this is one of my earlier projects and I wanted to make a beer to like benefit the queer community because you know, businesses like to profit off that every June. But I wanted to make a beer that was made by an actual queer person, me. Um, and it was my style and, and, and had like a specific, uh, specific like pairing in mind. So I wanted it for uh, National Coming Out Day, which is in October. And so that's why I made it. I had apricots from the Colorado Western Slope and honey, or sorry, well, honey, apricots and uh, cinnamon and some purple sweet potato powder to kind of make it purple. 
And so that beer is awesome. And the name flew. Um, they the label is great. It's got like this mirrored disco ball over it and rainbows and stuff. But we were able, we've been using it and making this beer. And I kind of still insisting that it be smaller batch. I know we've I've written like a recipe for scales be huge and all that, but as long as I can, I'd like it to be small batch, um, just so it's a little more exclusive and we send it out to different like queer festivals and raise money and all that. So that beer, it's been around for maybe like four years, but I love brewing that beer and I know it, it, it was just very personal. So that one's been awesome. I mean, it means a little more to me than like, Vote Voodoo 2023, number 3v1. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that one has been really fun. Um, but, you know, all the collab ones I've been doing lately are just pretty sweet, too. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, speaking of that, any, I mean, I probably can't, I might not be at liberty to say, but obviously um, with New Belgium uh, and Corinne and now Bells being a part of like the family, uh, has there already been talks about collaborating like between the breweries and, you know, uh, working together for some like bigger releases? Well, we did just actually, my uh, three of us on my team, we went out there last month. We were just out Bells and we did collab, um, not huge scale or anything like that, but um, we brewed in their 15 barrel brew house. And then Sean, she's the eccentric cafe uh, R&D brewer. Sean and I made a beer together. So um, we just, or Bell's just canned that Belgian stout between us two. Um, that's gonna be more exclusive and small scale, obviously. And then Sean and I did a beer that she was like, "How? what inspires you? And I was like, oh, travel. And so the beer we made, I think kind of blew her gourd, but, um, I don't know if you guys have been to Quebec, um, the winter carnival. So there's a drink there called caribou, which is like actually originated from caribou blood and, and whiskey, but it's not that anymore. But it's this <laughs> dark red, like mold brandy vodka drink and it's delicious. So we made a triple with, um, it's, it's a purple triple or blood red triple, I guess uh with mulling spices and it's just cool so those are only from the available in the eccentric cafe but as far as our companies doing a huge one together i don't think we we're trying to like leave bells alone um you know we all we both have our own things to do and actually new belgium right now is at max capacity like we cannot make beer fast enough which is a good problem uh, so we don't really even have time to like Sorry. do anything over here at least. So I think it might be a bit before we actually made like what a fat Oberon or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah Fat-hearted, something along those fat lines. Fat-hearted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that was kind of one of my next questions too was, you know, is there, I'm sure there's been talks, but it sounds like you guys are kind of at max capacity and so are they to like start brewing beers, you know, in each location from the other brands or whatever, so you can get like fresher uh, voodoo over in, over on the East Coast or wherever, you know, and some fresher too hearted here, but doesn't sound like that's possible right now. Not right now. I mean, I would never say never, but I think it might be a little bit. It's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, kind of on that note, circling back a little bit, you know, everyone, I think there's this misconception that can, that may be perpetrated by like the, the Goose Island acquisition back in the day when a larger company acquires, you know, a, you know, a subsidiary craft brand. What was it like with that shift uh, when, when Kieran came in and, and acquired New Belgium? Um, you know, obviously the, the party line kind of speak is, oh, nothing's going to change. You know, uh, you're, you're going to, you're, nothing's going to change in terms of quality, in terms of people, but it seems like that's truly been the case. You know, in, even in talking to you about R&D, it feels like there's much more opportunities to source ingredients and they really don't have any handcuffs on you in terms of what you, you're allowed to do or what you, what you want to do. Um, is, is that very much the case? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, so, you know, with change, like it's, it's, you're always like worried at first. Right. Um, but I think we were so successful that, you know, there's a reason we were, first of all, let me give credit to Kim Jordan for one selling to a, a brewery, um, uh, that was always like, if that was ever going to happen, she always said, I will, I'm selling to a brewery. We are not going to sell to, you know, private investors or anything like that. Like the whole point of New Belgium is beer. So that's, if you work here or anything like that, that is our culture. But anyway, going back to what you're asking, um, it's been awesome. I mean, the first thing Lion did was, so Karen owns Lion. Yep. We sold to Lion. Um, the first thing Lion did was uh, they came in and like evaluated everyone's pay. They're like even more about human powered business than we are, which is insane because we're like, I didn't even know you could be more uh, obsessed yeah. with equality and environmental stuff than us, but um, they are. And so the first thing they did was evaluate pay, make sure everyone across the board was getting like equal pay at our company but like as far as living and all that and then at the same time basically they're obsessed with safety which is you should be it's a brewery and people work here and you don't want loss of any limbs or people getting hurt or uh, equipment so while we already had like incredible safety everything procedures in place um I didn't even really, like, it was crazy that we could even go above and beyond because we're like way above OSHA standards everywhere. Um, so their big things in the beginning and still are, were the quality of their employees' lives and safety. And then now like a huge, and now we've kind of worked on all that. And like the huge thing right now is environmental impact. So we're working on carbon neutrality. We've changed our just everything. I mean, we were already at the forefront in brewing as as far as sustainability went, but now we're working on, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say everything, <laughs> stuff to make us uh, completely carbon neutral ASAP. So yeah, Lion's been awesome. And then as far as R&D and quality goes, um, quality wise, I know people are like, New Belgium's too big and they sold and quality doesn't matter. That is like so far from the truth that, I mean, I am laughing, but um, no, if there's anything, even like 
the slightest ppm higher of an off flavor we will not really we've always been like that anyway we will not release anything but um as far as quality it's only gotten better because we have more resources and then um r d wise it's actually pretty sweet because in australia like so lion australia new zealand they are innovative and everything like that the lion brands but um or the lion breweries but like they've looked to us because they've seen that we are just like out of control in a good way trying to like find the coolest stuff and i think they've been really impressed with us so they're looking to us for um, guidance and help for their R&D teams out there. Um, and same with Kieran. I mean, Kieran, <laughs> it's so amazing when they came out here uh, the first time and I, I hung out with them. I mean, they'd been out here other times before, but you know, we put on out all of our cool beers and it was amazing watching all the reactions to the, the crazy stuff we work with, but the quality of it. And so yeah, I think both companies are looking to, which is kind of a lot of pressure. We're a chill company, so I try not to think about it, but um, they really look to us for inspiration and innovation. So uh, I think we're in a good spot. That's cool. Yeah. Did you have any initial concerns going into it or were you pretty assured right away? No, I was totally pumped and I voted to sell. I was like, and I mean, there's people who had way more shared. I don't, I think at the time I'd been here six years or something, but I was like, and again, there's stuff we can't like totally tell everyone, but the way our company went about it and the info, there's other people that I've talked to recently who've sold and they had no information. They were just told. Our company, we were very open and transparent and you know, you get to vote and I, I'm not ashamed of saying like, I think, I don't think a lot of people are ashamed of saying we, I chose to vote uh, yes. So I was really excited. Mm -hmm. um, I know that sounds weird to some people, but it was cool. That's yeah. awesome. As uh, as I wanna, as sorry, Corey, go for it. Uh, I was just gonna ask. So I know New Belgium's obviously changed a lot over the years, and it's grown substantially compared to where it started. And Fort Collins is a cool town, but it can be a small town, too. And the, the brewing scene there is changing. There's new breweries opening, more established breweries opening tap rooms there. Like, so with a thing, with, a, like, you know, um, the sales of, like, Karen and, and mergers and whatnot, like, how do you, where do you think, and what's the vibe in, from your standpoint of, like, how people still perceive, like, New Belgium just within Fort Collins? uh oh my god it's okay so i grew up here and that and new belgium was like just like a part of your life even even as a kid mm -hmm. um i think when i got here it was still cool then we got bigger and everyone was like oh they're huge and the weird like making fun of us um but i think now like in fort collins especially um I don't even know every day we're completely packed and my wife's funny but every time she comes into the tap room she's like but you sold and we're never gonna drink your beer again as like a joke and honestly I think you know we have other people in town breweries in town that I absolutely adore um and I hang out at a lot like Zvi Brewing Lager Brewer 
and Odell, I love them. But I think there's a whole new generation of, of people, especially with our college, um, that just kind of see we're, we're big, but we're authentic and we're just making beer and trying to like do the best we can for people and our quality. And so I don't, I think there was a little rough patch, maybe like three years ago, but I think people now are just like over it and embrace New Belgium again. Yeah. So, yeah. Now I'm obviously a little bit more nostalgic. Um, you know, New Belgium actually had a, a really huge part in kind of inspiring me to get into the beer industry. Um, I had served a term with AmeriCorps out in Fort Collins and uh, you know, in AmeriCorps, you're paid less than minimum wage. So all we could afford to do on the weekends was to go to like New Belgium and Odell and enjoy some free tasters at the time. Um, and it was there that I heard like all these incredible stories of collaboration and community and, you know, helping each other out. And, and that's really what led me to, to want to start porch drinking. And so, you know, obviously I, there's a very specific period of time that I remember. And, you know, the Lips of Faith series was a huge part of me discovering what was so special about beer, you know, what Lauren did with like, uh, Lauren and, and Peter with uh, the Sour program was, was really incredible. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of some of these legacy brands, because I've seen uh, some, some of the Lips of Faith beers coming back into rotation, uh, at least being featured uh, as like a, as a very special release. Uh, I saw that Frambozen's coming back this season as like a very limited release. Um, are, can we expect more of those kind of coming out from, you know, retirement for a special limited release? Is there anything that you can share on that front? Yeah, I mean, so in general, there's a lot of people who are Coloradoans or local that, um, you know, Sunshine Wheat was my first craft beer ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it We don't make that anymore. Um and here, so in or general, blue like, paddle too. what's up? Blue Paddle. Love Here's blue the thing paddle. is we love those beers, but beyond Fort Collins and like the front range of Colorado, if we make a big, like put them out there, nobody buys them. Mm. Um, so that's an issue, especially with us being at max capacity. It's like, sure. oh boy. So in the pilot, um, Cody Reif and I, Cody's my boss. He's the original pilot brewer. We are always trying to, is any point in time we can trying to get those brands in, but it's typically for um, tap room or small batch canning releases. So Sunshine, Abbey, you know, all of the Blue Paddle. Um, we try to get those out there. But right now, I mean, like, again, we, and we, we actually were Frambozen. We made Frambozen on the big system which is 100 barrel batch basically um up until a few years ago but again like beyond just the fort collins denver area nobody buys it so you gotta factor in like is it worth it i don't know because that's a whole entire like brew that could have been making you know juicy haze or something so sure it's kind of like a it's a businessy decision um but again pilot wise we try and bring them back but for a national sales i don't think so. I, I it's sad because we all know how like um legacy craft brewers have to like get rid of their 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 beers that you know people are nostalgic for but 
favorite. I mean, are you telling me coconut curry Hefeweizen isn't going to be a national seller? <laughs> we, are we making that? Yeah, exactly. What are we making? I think we are actually redoing that one. Um, no way. I had heard through yeah. the grapevine that like several brewers threatened to quit uh, when they first brewed that because it like was so difficult to clean out the... the it's because we used coconut powder and it like clogged everything. Yeah. Um, but I think Lauren's going to do a sour play on it. No way. Yeah. That's so crazy. Check my beer buzz. See if yeah. they have the TTV approval for it. I, I heard something about that a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Very cool. Well, I am super stoked just from like a nostalgic play. I think that's so cool. And I, I will admit, Frambrosen is probably the one beer that I truly associate with a very specific time and place. Like every year when I'm cooking Thanksgiving meal, like I, I would like, I always say frambozen for that moment when I'm cooking. And, and so to hear that it's coming back for a limited release just made me so happy. It's in cans right now. I have to yeah. get you some. Yeah, totally. Um, maybe I can bring you some on Thursday when I go down to the airport. Oh, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Kelly, I, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Um, you know, I've been such a fan of yours for a while. I know you got to speak with Kinsey over at the Boys Are From Marizin podcast and, uh, you know, our, our sister podcast, if you will. And, um, you know, we've just been such an admirer of your work for such a long time. So, you know, getting to run into you at Gold Spot was such a dream come true and um, getting to kind of book get this on the books was something that we've been wanting to do for a while. So thank you for taking the time to chat and uh, appreciate you sharing some behind the scenes at New Belgium Brewing, one of our favorites. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, folks, this has been one, episode 101 of, of the uh, Porchcast. Uh, big thank you to Kelly McKnight, lead, brewer, lead R&D brewer for New Belgium Brewing. Big thank you once again to Corey David and Bryant Vanderweird for making this all possible. We'll check you later.